Am I good? Yep. Sweet. Awesome. Well, it is a, it's a privilege to be here tonight and to, to be with you guys and hear, hear prayer requests lifted up and to hear how the Lord is, is working in each of our lives. Um, I find that really encouraging. Um, so uh, I want to thank Josh for thinking of me this week and asking me to come preach. I always consider it an honor to do that. Um, but we are going to be in Luke chapter 7 tonight, verses 36 through 50. Um, if you're using the Pew Bible, it is page 950-951. And while you turn there, I wanted to, to kind of give some clarity real quick. There is a story that is similar to the one that we're going to be reading tonight. Um, and it is found in three different places. It's found in Matthew 26, it's found in Mark 14, and it's also found in John chapter 12. Um, the reason I bring that up is because I don't want you to get confused. That story that is in those three accounts is different from the one that we're going to be reading tonight. Uh, that story takes, late, takes place later on in Jesus' life um, in the town of Bethany. It's, uh, some different characters, different time, different place. This is happening in Galilee. Um, so just wanted to make sure that we, that we were on the same page. This is a different story. It's often, often been confused and associated with those stories, but two very different stories. Um, but let's, let's, let's read, and we're starting in verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray real quick before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a time where we can come and we can gather and we can dive into your very words. We thank you for an opportunity where we can read it, where we can talk about it, 
and we can allow it to change our lives. God, this story is powerful. It makes much of Jesus Christ, and we praise you for, for that. God, as, we pre- as, as, I, as I preach and, and, as, and as they listen, may our hearts and our minds be changed by the Word of God. And as I preach, may the words of my heart, or may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. God, we love you, and we praise you. And may you receive all glory for this time. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Alright, so, so the sermon tonight will be divided into three different sections. We're going to spend a little bit of time giving some background information to help us understand the significance of the scene that's going on right here. And then we will transition to kind of the theological uh, message, the main point that Jesus is going to get across. And then, and then we're going to discuss exactly how we, how we apply it to life for us now in, in 2017, First Baptist Church of Fairdale. So, so let's start with, with setting the scene. Um, verse 36, it says that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and when he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Or that, that's what he did. So I think the first thing that I asked myself when I read this passage was, why in the world is a Pharisee inviting Jesus to his house? You and I have read the Bible long enough, hopefully, and have, have read enough stories about the Pharisees to know that they are not exactly fans of Jesus. So it should, it should come up as a flag, sort of, when we see that one is inviting Jesus to his home. I think that there's a reason for that. And I think um, that if we, if we look back just a little bit, it'll make a little more sense. In, in the passage previous... Um, there's a message from John the Baptist. He's, he's asking Jesus some questions. Is, is he the one that, that they've all been waiting for? Or should they wait for someone else? And Jesus uh, validates the message and the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is also someone that the Pharisees do not like. Um, and if you, will, if you will look at me starting in verse 28, still in chapter 7, but just a few verses before... Um, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And now verse 29 is a big deal. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So so a lot of the people that have been baptized by John are really excited to hear Jesus say this. The Pharisees... Not so much. And then we come to this next story, and all of a sudden the Pharisee, one of the Pharisees, Simon, invites Jesus into his home. I think the reason that Simon has invited him is not a good reason. He's invited Jesus into his home because just like the Pharisees, he hates Jesus and they want to get rid of him. And so what he is trying to do is get incriminating evidence on how to get rid of Jesus. He wants to try to catch Jesus in his words, somehow, during this social gathering, he wants to catch Jesus and find a, a way that they can get rid of him. So he invites him to his house, and it says that they reclined at table. Uh, what this means is that there's a, there's a social gathering going on. Um, it's not uncommon for people to hold this kind of, of, of event, especially for someone who is a teacher, uh, in the region, 
And Jesus, at the very least, is a fantastic teacher if in the eyes of the people. At the very minimum, that's who he is. We know him as something much greater, but at the very least, that's what he is. And so a, a typical social gathering like this, in a home like this, the homes were built around a courtyard. And so if you could imagine there would be a courtyard right here, and, and, and the house is, is built around it, the hallways are right here around, and, and the table is in the middle of the courtyard. And, and what it means when they, it says that they're reclining at the table, that's literally what they're doing. They would take couches, and they would, it would be at an incline, and they would be almost laying at the table as, a, as opposed to sitting at the table. They would prop themselves up with their elbows, and then their feet would be going away from the table. So they're, they're quite literally reclining. And it's not uncommon for a gathering like this for people in the community to come in and out, to stand around the outside, because like I said, the building is built around the courtyard. It's not uncommon for them to come in and sit on the outer, on the outer, on the outer parts of the, of the home and to listen to the conversations that are being taken place, to hear the teaching, to hear the conversations that are going on. Um, and so this is, this is somewhat of a social gathering. It's somewhat of a small event um, that, that's going on. Also, people who could come at this point at the very end of the party were poor people. They could come in at the end of the social gathering. They could take the scraps in order to feed their families and go home. It was, that was socially acceptable. They could do that. So there was a number of people who were accepted at this kind of event. Which leads us to verse 37. And it says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of ointment. Uh, just as a side note, whenever you see the word behold right there in the New Testament, either something of significance or something that is significantly out of the ordinary is about to occur. And right here, this is something that is significantly out of the ordinary because we mentioned there's a lot of people in the community who are allowed socially to come in and hear, hear what's going on in the conversation. Um, this woman is not one of them. The Bible says that she is a woman of the, commu- of the city, who was a sinner. Now, for us, when we see sinner, that's not exactly very clear. What, is, what does that mean? There's any number of things that she could be doing that's a sin, right? So, what does that mean? Um, more than likely, what that means is that she is a promiscuous woman. She is more than likely uh, a prostitute. And so, when she is a woman of the city who was a sinner... That, that's kind of what, I, what Luke is getting at. This is the kind of woman she is. And she is not someone who was welcome at a social gathering like this, certainly not a social gathering that is taking place at a Pharisee's house. Someone who in the community is, supposed, is seen as holy and righteous. She's not someone who is welcome at this kind of event. But she shows up because she hears Jesus is reclining at the table. She's coming because she's heard that Jesus is there. And so we get to verse 38. And, and she's standing behind him at his feet. Remember I, remember I said that they're, they're literally reclining at the table. And so their feet are facing the table. So it's not, it's not hard for us to understand that when she comes, she's already standing behind him at his feet because he's at the table. And she comes behind him weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears 
and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So, so like I said, she, she's, not, she's already not really welcome at this kind of event. But now what she does is make a scene, which is also not acceptable in this kind of time. She comes behind him. She's weeping. Her, her, her tears are wetting his feet. And then she does something that's not significant unless we understand some of what's going on as far as Jewish background. In the Jewish community, when women became a certain age, they would put their hair up. And they would never let it down again in, in public or in front of someone who wasn't their husband or their family. To do so would be to signify that they were promiscuous or they were um, loose or any, any other term that you want to do. And it actually had grounds for divorce in the Jewish community. So what this woman does is she comes and, and when she pulls down her hair, she publicly shames herself in order to wipe Jesus' feet. She's making a scene. Everyone around in this gathering is watching as this, as this woman does something that is absolutely and incredibly out of the ordinary And then we transition to to verse 39, and the Pharisee comes back into the story. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, take note that he said this to himself, because it's going to be important in the next verse. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So it's not only a big deal that she's performing this action, it's also a huge deal that Jesus is allowing this to happen to him. He's allowing this woman to wash his feet with her tears and wipe it. Because like we, we know who she is. And for Jesus to allow this to happen to him from a woman like her is also viewed very, very poorly. He's, he's being touched by someone who is sinful, who is defiled, who is unclean. And it's not good, especially in the eyes of someone like a Pharisee, right? Who is holy, upright, does what he can to, to, to obey the law. And, and so the Pharisee says, you know, you know what? If he was a prophet, he would know who this woman is. And he would know exactly what's wrong with the fact that she's touching him. And he wouldn't let it happen. And, and remember how I said that he had said this to himself. It said that in verse 39. And Jesus answers him. Pharisee spoke to himself about what was going on, but Jesus answered him. See, Jesus knows exactly what's going on. This, this crazy scene is causing a stir somewhat in the gathering. The Pharisee is looking upon it disgusted, but Jesus is not shocked at all. So much to the point that he knows exactly what the Pharisee is thinking, and he is prepared to deal with it. And Jesus answers him, Simon... I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So now we've established the scene, right? This is a, a fairly big scene. She's caused the scene at this social gathering. And Jesus is now going to use what's happening, the, the thought that's going, coming from the Pharisee, as a chance to teach something to the people who are here. And he says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, 
the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. We'll stop right there for just a second. Jesus takes this as an opportunity to teach the people around him a couple things. One, he's God. And he has the authority to forgive sins. The second thing he teaches is that the forgiveness, forgiveness leads to love and adoration. And we have to be careful with this specific text because if, if we're not reading it closely, it can seem as though the woman's actions, her loving Jesus, is what has led her, Jesus to forgive her. But that's not what happens. She came to the party knowing who Jesus was knowing who she was. And she, she knows enough about Jesus to know that He is the only person who can give her forgiveness. And so she shows an abundance of love for who He is. And Jesus teaches this message by showing the difference between the way the Pharisee Simon has, has dealt with him at the party and the way that she has. Look again at, 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 verse, um, at verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Feet washing was a very basic form of um, guests, guest service when you have someone over. It's a, it's a, it's a formality. When you have someone over at your house, in the biblical times, you have, you have a place for them to wash their feet or you have someone who does wash their feet because at the time, feet are really nasty. Foot covering isn't exactly... Shoes aren't exactly a thing. Foot coverings aren't exactly a thing. And roads are disgusting. So foot washing is a formality when you have someone come to your house. It's, it's a basic form of service. And, he, and Simon the Pharisee has failed to provide it. But the woman, when she enters and she's weeping, she comes to his feet. And, and we don't know necessarily that this is why she did it, that she could have realized that he has, he has not had his feet washed. But what we do know is that she washes them anyways with her tears and she wipes it with her hair. And then in verse 45, you, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to keep, kiss my feet. Another formality, when you have someone over, you greet them with a kiss. That's a New Testament period, um, a New Testament period practice. And he is, Simon, again, has failed to do this, but she has not ceased to kiss his feet. And in 46, he doesn't, he doesn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus is using the difference between the way that they have treated him to teach the message that forgiveness leads to love. There's two big differences and two different uh, thought processes in regards to the woman 
and the Pharisee. The differences are in the way that they view their sin and who they are, and the second way is in the difference they weigh, the way the difference in the way they view Jesus. We'll start with the Pharisee. The Pharisee views himself clearly as someone who is holy and righteous. He obeys the law. It's what he's been raised to do. It's what he does now. It's the way the community sees him. He even probably follows the Talmud, a, a teaching, a Jewish teaching that helps them be obedient to the law. He is holy and he is upright. And the way he views himself is in good standing before a holy God. Unfortunately, he couldn't be more wrong. He doesn't view himself as someone who is sinful and in need of forgiveness. And then we take the woman. She and everyone else in the community knows exactly who she is. Exactly what she's done. Luke himself describes her as a sinner. And she recognizes a desperate need for forgiveness. The second part is the way they view Jesus. Again, we, we, I talked about the fact that the Pharisee is probably looking for incriminating evidence of Jesus. He has a very low view of Jesus. At one point, he even says, you know what? I know that people think this man's a prophet, but if he were a prophet, he would know exactly who this woman is who's touching him, and he wouldn't allow it to happen. But on the flip side, this woman sees Jesus at the one person who can forgive her, where she can find forgiveness, and it leads her to abundant actions of love towards Jesus. And Jesus uses it as an opportunity to teach that forgiveness leads to love. So, so what does is, what is a theological message like forgiveness lead, leads to love? Why is that important to us? Well, look back at, at, at verse 41. I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. Verse 41 with the story. He uses the story of a, of a debtor and a moneylender. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answers, the one I suppose for whom is canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Excuse me. So, here's the thing. And uh, as I was studying and preparing for this, um, I, was, I was reading something by John MacArthur and this blew me away. This is, this is the interesting thing about debt. When the money lender cancels the debt of, of the two debtors, 500 denarii, 50 denarii, the debt goes away for the debtors, but it doesn't go away in general. Right? Someone still has to pay the debt, but in this case, it's going to be the money lender. The theological message here is very appropriate for us because here's the problem. You and I have a debt, and as the church, we know that we've, that we've been forgiven of sin. And praise God for that. But that debt didn't just go away. Right? The one who forgave us the debt had to pay it himself. And that is Jesus. He has to go, and he has to die, and he has to pay the price himself. And that was the price of our forgiveness. And that forgiveness should lead us to absolute 
love and adoration. That's where it pushes us. Love and adoration for Jesus Christ alone. And so the next question becomes, um, how, do we, how do we apply this to our life? We know now that forgiveness leads to love, but what exactly does that look like now? I, I think I have, I have two answers. Forgiveness, number one, leads to love for God. Now, we saw the woman exactly how she loved Jesus, and you and I can't exactly uh, wet Jesus' feet with our tears right now or wipe it with our hair. We can't show our love and affection for Jesus the same way she did. So how do we do it now? I think uh, the Gospel of John answers that question really well in chapter 14. You don't have to flip there if you don't want to. Um, I'll read it for you. But starting in, it's verse 15, verses 21, and then 23 through 25. Uh, You can just listen if you'd like. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then verse 23 through 25, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Love for God now looks like obedience. Love for God now looks like being obedient to what he's, what he's called us and what He's commanded to in His Word. Trusting in the promises that we find in the Bible. It looks like um, searching those things out. It looks like coming together as we did tonight and praying together. Being the church, right? Bearing each other's burdens and, and, and talking about how the Lord is building, building us up. Coming here and worshiping together. That's being obedient to God right now and it's loving God right now. That's what it looks like in 2017, First Baptist Church of Fairdale, for us to love God. And we love God because we are a church. And to be a church means that we've been forgiven. And that has led us to love God. The second thing is that forgiveness leads us to love for others. And love for others in the sense that we all love each other as the church. And we we gather and, and we do the things that we do here. But also it calls us to love others beyond the walls. Because we're a forgiven people, and we know that, and it's led us to love for God, but there are people out there who also need to know that they can be forgiven just like us. And they need it. They need to know that they are sinful, and they need to know that they can be forgiven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate this love for others with a, with a, with a personal story and then, and then we'll close. Um, I was joking with Jake earlier. For those of you who were here this morning, you heard Josh kind of close his sermon with a story about him and his dad. And you can talk to my wife. I had this illustration earlier in the week. And so I'm, I'm not, not that Josh isn't worthy of being imitated, but I'm copying him. Uh, it will seem like I'm copying him a little bit. Um, but this is a story from my personal life. I remember when I was in the, in the second or the third grade, it was Christmas Eve. We had gone to our church's Christmas Eve service, and, and the service had ended. My parents were off talking to some other people in the congregation, and, and my sister and I were arguing about something, which isn't uncommon if you've ever been in my house for more than five minutes. Um, and, and my sister pushed me. 
My parents didn't see that. What my dad, of course, saw is me turn around as a second grade boy and absolutely wallop my sister on the back. And that didn't sit very well. For the record, this is the last time that I ever hit a girl. Uh, um, and, and my dad was livid. He pulled me aside. He, he absolutely gave me an earful. And, and rightfully so, right? I, I did something that was incredibly wrong. Um, but I just remember the entire night, because we left there and went to my grandmother's house, and we were there for a couple of hours. And at this point, my sister and I were cool, right? My sister, uh, my sister had forgiven me, and she had been talking to me the rest of the night. We had been doing the Christmas festivities. We were fine. But the entire time, I was absolutely miserable because I could just look at my dad and see that he was still so bothered with what I had done. He was so angry at me. And remember, this is Christmas Eve. So, so we left my, my grandmother's house. I pretty much went straight to bed thinking that, you know, if I fall asleep, I can't exactly feel bad anymore. Um, but, but this is what I remember about my dad. And, and the reason this is important is because my dad is a man who understands and loves the gospel. And I think that in this moment, he realized he had an opportunity to teach me something about it. I didn't know that when I was a second grader or a third grader, but as an adult and a believer looking back now, I think my dad saw an opportunity to show me something. And he came into the room, and I was laying in bed, and like I said, I was absolutely miserable and I was upset. And my dad came in, and he, and he, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, I realized that I got angry at you earlier, and, and I don't have to tell you anymore about, about what you did because you know what's wrong. He said, but I think what you need to hear right now is that I love you. And it's going to be okay. We're going to wake up tomorrow. Christmas is going to be good. Abby's fine. It's okay. And I needed to hear that in that moment. And so I look back on that as an adult and thinking, wow, my dad really taught me something about forgiveness in that moment. He really taught me something. And I think it's important to hear that because as the church... We are a forgiven people. That moment has led me to love my dad way more than if he had never said anything to me and he just would have let sleep take care of it and we would have been fine. But it's led me to love him more. I love and adore my dad because of situations and times like that. You and I are a church that has been forgiven of so much. Our sin is way too great, but the debt has been paid, and it has caused us to love Jesus Christ and to love God more, and it's going to lead us to show it and love others the exact same way we have been. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we praise you and we thank you because we are a people forgiven forgiven of much if we are believing in Jesus Christ, his birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection. And if we are repenting of sin, God, we, we thank you for that forgiveness. And we pray that it is leading us to love you more every day. And we pray that it is leading us to love the people who are around us, who are in this church and who are outside this church and need to know that there is a God who loves them and desires for them to feel the forgiveness of sin if they would believe in Jesus Christ alone. 
God, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for stories such as this where we can, where we can see your heart. God, we love you. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.